Amen. Good morning, church. It is good to see you all here. And for those of you that are home, thank you for joining us this morning as we worship together and hear the word of God preached. And for those of you, this is your first time here. My name is George Omanachi. I'm actually the worship pastor here at West Shore Free Church, but it's my privilege to be able to bring the word of God to you this morning as we look at Philippians 4. We continue our series in Philippians. So turn with me to Philippians 4, verse 1. And I remember in elementary school, uh, I grew up in Bloomfield, New Jersey, and I went to this school named Brookdale Christian School. And one of the things they did at the end of every single year is that they had this uh, huge competition called Blue and White Day. Those are the colors of the school. So half the elementary school were blue, half the elementary school were white. And we'd have all these different competitions, and then at the end of the day, they would announce which color won. And my favorite event, it was the one that I looked forward to every single year, was the last event. It was the grand finale. It was this huge tug-of-war battle. I loved tug-of-war. I loved it. You just, you know, you're holding on to this rope, you're getting rope, rope burns in your hands. Usually the biggest kid in the class is the one who has to be the anchor or the anchor, you tie the rope around their waist, and they have to kind of step backwards. And you have these two teams that are vying for control of the rope. And just like tug-of-war, I think many times our minds can feel like there's tug-of-war happening. And just competing interests that are pulling for our attention and pulling to take control of our minds. And whether it's anxiety or peace, whether it's joy or sadness, whether it's trust or doubt, the mind is a battlefield, one that hinges at times on death and life for our minds. And you probably heard the phrase, peace of mind, or even used it. I, 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 just, I just need peace of mind. And for those of you that, even if you're not a Christian, uh, everyone, everyone seeks out life for their mind. Everyone desires peace in their mind. And some rely on distraction through movies and entertainment to get their, get their mind off their troubles. Some look to sleep or a good book as a means to bring life and vibrancy to their mind. Some find life in, in relationships and conversation with others, and some find peace in physical activities or working out or something like yoga or meditation. And while all those things can have their place, they are temporal. They don't give you lasting life and peace for your mind. They're not what can give you spiritual, supernatural peace in life that only God can give. And what we're gonna see today in Philippians 4 is this grand prescription that Paul gives us to receive life and peace for our minds through four life-giving commands. And this prescription that we're gonna see today is very much in line with what we've been talking about this entire series in terms of the marks of the Christ-centered life. These commands are really living out the Christ-centered life that we've been talking about in terms of having an unrivaled affection for Christ, have, being firm in the truth, being pure in your mind, and seeking out and having unity with other believers. These marks are all over the directives that Paul gives us today, and I think this passage is so timely. It's obviously, there's a lot going on right now. And it can be really easy for our minds to go to a place of chaos and worry and anxiety and doubt. And in this time, we need to latch on, we need to embrace, we need to pursue with everything is in us the amazing gift of a mind that is guarded by Jesus, guarded by the great shepherd. And so if you're here in this morning that your mind is chaotic, you're full of anxiety, and worry and sadness, my prayer for you is that today Paul's exhortation and prescription 
it would be life-changing. It would be mind-altering. It would bring you to an understanding But living a Christ-centered life, how that renews your mind and gives you true and lasting peace. So let's read in chapter four, starting in verse nine, verse one, we're gonna go all the way to verse nine. This is what Paul says. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So the big idea today is life for your mind is found in living out the Christ-centered life. And I think before we start, we have to frame this in verse one, Paul is not writing these commands to just be heavy-handed or to just give you a list of things to do. But he says in verse one, what does he say? He is sharing these life-giving directives as he's saying to the Philippian church, listen, I love you and I long for you and I want you to be firm in the Lord. You are my joy and my crown. He is sharing these out of love for his church. And in the same way as, as we look at these commands and we know they apply to us today, right now, God's love for his church God's love for us as sons and daughters, his desire is that our minds thrive and are renewed and are transformed and have life so that we can stand firm in him. So let let that frame these commands as we start this morning. So our first command, our first point is that life for your mind is found in rejoicing in the Lord at all times. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Now, joy and rejoicing is a major theme of Philippians, as we've seen. Paul actually uses joy and rejoice 16 times in this letter. And what we see here is we have a command to rejoice, yes, but think about what an incredible command that is. That our duty, that our calling is to find our joy, to find our happiness, to find our cheerfulness in the God of the universe, the only one who is constant, the only one who is sovereign, the only one that can give lasting life. Instead of saying rejoice in the amount of your bank account or rejoice in your job or rejoice in your status or your intellect or your physical attributes, all these things that fade, that don't last. It's not like Paul is saying like, if I'm in the car with my kids and I have a bag of M&Ms or or candy, they're like, daddy, I want some some candy. And I said, okay, here you go, four M&Ms for each of you. And they may, they don't, well, they sometimes do, but they may complain Say, we want more. And I turn around and say, just be happy with what you got. 
That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, be happy in the one who gives you everything. There's nothing better to be joyful and rejoicing in than our God. And Paul is also not saying here, in terms of rejoicing, just, you just gotta be happy all the time. You just gotta have a smile on your face. You just gotta have a, a pep in your step. It's not this fake happiness or this outward joy. What it is is this joy that's rooted deep within our minds and in our hearts that, that transforms the mind and allows us and empowers us as Christians to stand firm in our faith no matter what, to receive peace from God and be able to trust in him through the hardest of times despite what is peripherally happening around us. So then the first question is, how is rejoicing in the Lord? How does that give us life for our minds? Well, the first way is that rejoicing in the Lord, like I just alluded to, it lifts your joy above your circumstances. It's not a circumstantial joy. It's a solid rock foundational joy. See, when you have joy in the Lord, it's founded upon the promises of Christ rather than the promises of this world. It, your joy comes from the promise of forgiveness for your sins, that you've been redeemed, that you've been blood bought, that your sins have been blotted out. The promise of new spiritual life through the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit that's in you, giving you power even now to rejoice in God. The promise of the gospel being proclaimed that his kingdom going forward and the gates of hell will not stand against it. It's based upon, as we heard last week from Trent, that our citizenship is in heaven, that we don't belong to this broken world, that we belong somewhere else. We belong to, to eternity with Jesus, where one day our broken and weak bodies will be transformed to be like his. These are the promises where our joy is rooted in. And when we do, when we do rejoice in the promises of Christ, the circumstances and troubles of this life, they pale they pale in comparison to the glory of God, to the glory of Christ, to his goodness, to his love. And then our minds receive rest and life and peace. And this is one of those marks that we've been talking about in terms of having an unrivaled affection for Christ. An affection, a love, a joy that's not, that's not rivaled by hardship or by possessions or by earthly riches. And what our joy does, it, is, it, it gives us this x-ray vision like Superman has to be able to look past the obstacles of our life, to be able to look past the walls and the false security that we have in the world and see the promises of God, the eternal ones that have to come to fruition or will come to fruition. It, it really, it's a deeper well we draw from joy. I don't know much about wells, but I did look up what it's like to build a well. And what I found is that most of the time, in most circumstances, building a deeper well is better than building a shallow well. There's a couple reasons why. With a shallow well, first of all, because it's more shallow, it's gonna run dry quicker, especially in arid climates. Also with a shallow well, more of the stuff that's on the surface, the bacteria, pesticides, it's easier to seep into your water and then you're ingesting that contaminated water. Whereas with a deeper well, you have a water source that's not gonna run dry and it's gonna be protected from contaminants, it's gonna allow you to drink pure water. And it really is the same thing that, that what well are we drawing our joy from? Are we drawing our joy from the shallow well of, of the world? Because if we do, our joy, our, our happiness is gonna be contaminated with a false hope, false peace, false security. And in the, in the end, you're gonna be left wanting and thirsty and in this roller coaster like state of happiness up and down and up and down. 
rather than what God has put in you and done for you as he's put in a new heart, he's put in his Holy Spirit, he's put in a hope that doesn't fade through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in God, it gives you a deep, rich well, whereas Jesus talks about in John 4, we get to drink of living water that quenches our thirst, that lasts. And, and there are times when it seems like, how can I rejoice in a situation? Things are so dire. How do I find happiness in the Lord? And if we just look a little further, I know this is next week. I'm gonna cheat a little bit. We're just gonna get a little sneak preview of next week. Look at me in verse 10. This is what Paul says. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You've probably heard this verse before. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is right off the heels of rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. What this tells us and what Paul is telling us, that Christ strengthens you in your fight for joy, despite plenty or hunger, despite abundance or need. He begins the journey while even just moving you to a place where you even desire his joy. And then in that fight, he sustains you in the midst of intense difficulty through his word, his promise, and the power of his spirit, and then completes the joy by prov- providing lasting joy that never runs out. We don't have to fear in this fight because Christ is with us. Christ is empowering us to have joy in the fire. And what just what good news this is that we don't have to conjure it up within us, but rather as we choose joy, he gives us the fortitude and vigor to receive it, to receive it well. This is Charles Spurgeon, the English pastor and preacher from the 19th century. This is what he says about joy and Jesus empowering us to rejoice in him. He says, there is a marvelous medicinal power and joy. Most medicines are distasteful, but this which is the best of all medicines is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. You are not allowed to sit there and fret and fume. You are not permitted to complain and groan. Mourner, you are commanded to put on beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. For this purpose, your Savior came. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him for this very end, that he might make you Rejoice, therefore sing with the prophet, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So Jesus empowering us to rejoice in the Lord, always in him, always recounting the gospel as it produces life for your mind and protects you from this wishy, washy, turbulent, circumstantial joy. There's a constant, unrivaled affection that we can have for Christ as we rejoice in him. The second way we find life for our mind here, life for your mind is found in practicing a reasonableness in life towards others. Verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so what Paul is saying on the directives of Rejoice in the Lord always is now turned to a mindset, having this mindset of being reasonable. Some other translations say, instead of saying reasonable, they say gentle, gentleness. 
that really impacts how we treat others. It spills out and sows seeds of either unity or disunity. Unity in, in, in the believers is one of those marks of the Christ-centered life. And, and we see that Paul is talking about it this way because look what he says in verse two. If we go back up, it's, those aren't throwaway verses at the beginning. He's talking about these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, and he's asking the church to help them agree in the Lord. So there's some sort of disagreement between the two of them. And he's entreating both of them and he's entreating the church to help them, come alongside them, help them to agree, agree in the one that matters, help them to come together in the gospel and put away petty squabbles. Help them to remember that they are co-laborers in the gospel and that the gospel would stand above all other differences of opinion or preferences that they may have. And, and being reasonable, what it means for us it's the same thing. It means forsaking being argumentative with others for the sake of arguing. Or that we, we look at things and we think that they're more important than the fact that we are both blood-bought sons of God and daughters of God. Looking to the higher calling that God has called us to. To not just win an argument. To not just share our side of things to not just try to bring people to our side of, of, of in politics or in any preference. And it really can be, in this, it really can be how we smell towards others. Like, who likes someone, do you like being around someone who smells terrible? I don't, right? In 2 Corinthians, this is what Paul says, he uses this metaphor of an aroma. He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing and a couple months ago I went with some friends of mine to uh, their family farm and uh, they have this beautiful farm in Virginia uh, my friend's parents they have cows everywhere it, it was just gorgeous and they built this beautiful new like farmhouse thing on top of this land and it needed a it had a septic tank because it was in the middle of nowhere and some of you may know where I'm going with the story but one of the toilets clogged and every toilet in the entire house clogged and I don't have a septic tank. I'm on Dillsburg City sewer water, so I'm just like, represent, like that's, that's great. I don't have to deal with that. But uh, it was clogged, so we went outside, um, and he went over to the, uh, my friend's dad went over to the valve, like the pipe, and he lifted up the, uh, the tops of the, the pipe, and all of a sudden, just every terrible, imaginable thing started pouring out of it. Just sewage everywhere. He's got a plunger on this thing. He's putting a snake in. And now uh, both my friends are helping him. My wife, for some reason, is going and helping him as well. And they're just getting just doused. Like the splash zone at SeaWorld, they're just getting doused with sewage. And I'm just like, hey, I'm gonna stand over here and just observe and be the idea guy. And so even though I'm not a plumber, I was actually the one who had the right idea that there was a broken pipe further down the line that dirt was going into and clogging the line, making it back up. I don't know how I had that in my head, but the Lord gave it to me. They didn't believe me at first. When the plumber came, I was right. Okay, that's besides the point. <laughs> so they're covered in sewage. I'm not. I don't want to be anywhere near them because they smell like death. And they were able to you know, take a shower and all that stuff and get cleaned up. But in that moment, it's kind of a silly metaphor, but... When we're unreasonable and we're argumentative and we're critical and, and we focus on things that we should not put above the gospel, it's like that. It's like we're covered in sewage almost. Because what it will do, it will sow seeds of disunity in the body. People will not wanna be near you. People won't wanna hear what your words of wisdom are. Not only that, but people will look at you skeptically and you'll look at them skeptically. And then you think things like, well, 
I can't do this with this person because they, they voted this way. Or I can't co-labor with this person because they believe X, Y, and Z preference-wise that that's not something that's a, that's a theological, mainline theological or gospel issue. And we have, we have a breaking and a division in the body. And what Paul is, is asking us instead is to be reasonable, to unify, and to reflect the mind of Christ. Right? Like the mind that he talks about in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, about that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but that we count others more significant than ourselves, that we don't look to our interests, but we also look to the interests of others, and that we have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? This mind of humility, and servanthood, of gentleness, of love, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the mind that we need to have in terms of being reasonable and gentle, the mind of Christ, humility, counting others more significant for ourselves, striving for unity in the church. And then he continues in that verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I think we can put a because between here. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. What does he mean by the Lord is at hand? So in Mark 13, Jesus is foretelling the destruction of the world. He says, looking for all these signs. It's gonna be the signs of my, my coming. And then in verse, uh, in chapter 13 of 20, Mark 13, 29, Jesus says, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. That word near is actually the same Greek word that Paul uses for the Lord is at hand. And so what that tells us is he's saying, be reasonable, be gentle one another, be unified, because the Lord is coming back soon. He's coming quickly. I think how this applies to us is that we need to have an urgency as the body of Christ, that in this blip of time that we're here in the radar of eternity, the stakes are so high in order for us to come together as the body of Christ and to do his will, that we should be united as the church of Christ under one banner, under one flag, that as Trent was talking about last week, that remember the one group, the one group of belonging that matters in the end is that we are the people of God and we unite to further his kingdom and purposes in the world, forsaking trivial fights. When we get to heaven, we're not gonna be thinking about how we want arguments or thinking about that, man, I'm glad I stay away from that person because they had this or that preference or belief on a political issue or whatever, put, fill in the blank. But we're gonna think about the gospel work that was done. Share the gospel with the lost. To love those around us. To meet the needs of our community. That's what we're gonna remember. Care more about your brother and sister, how much they love Jesus and their preferences. And then towards unbelievers, it's the same thing as he says, everyone, that our time is limited here, so we need to use every opportunity that we can to display the gospel in our actions, to speak the gospel with our words, and to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Third way we find life for our mind is that life for your mind is found in prayer, which results in the peace of God. This is good news today. 
Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And one of the biggest obstacles for our minds to have an absence of life is through worry and anxiety. But what it does is that as a mind races with worry, disbelief, and anxiety, it causes an absence of God's peace. Anxiety kills joy and peace. And what Paul is saying here is a direct command, do not be anxious, but he's not saying it in this way, in this kind of flippant way of, hey, just quit worrying. Right? How helpful is that when someone tells you, if you're really worried about something, and someone just, just stop worrying. You'll be fine, huh? Really? That's not what Paul is saying here. He doesn't just leave us at a, do not be anxious and moves on, but then he gives this incredible prescription to receive the peace of God. This answer is prayer. Prayer, prayers that, cry, that are cries for help, prayers that are declarations of thanksgiving, thanking the Lord for, for what he's done for your life. Prayers where we bear ourselves before him and we lay every worry, every issue, every concern at his feet and it brings us to a place of unrelenting streams of God's peace, where this peace, it passes all understanding. It, it doesn't make sense that in the worst of circumstances we can have the peace of God. If today, if you're anxious about the future of our country, pray that God would help you see that he is sovereign, that he reigns over the nations, that no leader of men stands above his authority, and that his purposes will never, ever fail. If you're worried about your finances and resources, pray that God would remind you that he cares for you, and he sees you, and he provides for the grass of the field and the birds of the air, and his promise is that he will care even more for his children and provide every single one of your needs. If you're referring how your kids will turn out when they're older, bring that request for the Lord and trust that he sees your children, that he cares for them, that by his will, he will bring them to repentance, that he will help give you wisdom and discernment to lead them up in the precepts of the Lord. If you're carrying a physical ailment today that's causing you worry and anxiety, pray to him for healing because his promise is that he can heal any sickness but no matter what his will is for you physically, he helps you to remember that he has fully healed you spiritually and can help you and give you the power to rejoice and have peace despite the physical status of your body. And he will walk with you through your physical pain. And here's the thing about prayer is that it never, ever stops. It should never cease whether your prayer is answered or, or not answered. And Paul kind of gives this parallel command in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That the will of God for you in Christ Jesus is to pray and to not stop praying, and then in that prayer that you receive supernatural peace, whether your answer comes now, later, or never. George Mueller, he was a German German pastor in the 19th century, he spent most of his time in Bristol, England, and he's known for a couple of things. He's known for his preaching, but he's known for starting all these orphanages where he took care of more than 10,000 orphans during his life. One of the things about Mueller is that his life was covered in prayer. This is a man who prayed hours a day. 
And obviously, as you would think, starting an orphanage is not cheap, takes a lot of money. And in his life, he would always go to the Lord for his needs. He never asked anyone directly for money. He never took out a loan. He never went into debt. He never took a salary in his 68 years of ministry. And he had this prayer journal. And he had over 50,000 recorded answers to prayer in this journal. 30,000 of which were answered either that day or within the hour that he prayed them. And as he prayed, he received millions and millions and millions of dollars for his orphanage and for his ministry. His orphans never went hungry. They always had clothing. His biography is just, it's incredible the way this man spoke about prayer and and trusting in the Lord for his resources. And one thing he always talks about is that he never really struggled with anxiety. He never struggled. He always had the peace of God in him, even when it seemed dire, even when it was like right to the deadline, like, Lord, we need food for the orphans. We, we need money to continue going. The Lord always provided. And this is what he writes about prayer. He says, my dear Christian reader, will you not try this way? Will you not know for yourself the preciousness and the happiness of this way of casting all your cares and burdens and necessities upon God. This way is as open to you as to me. Everyone is invited and commanded to trust in the Lord, to trust in him with all his heart and to cast his burden upon him and to call upon him in the day of trouble. Will you not do this, my dear brethren in Christ? I long that you may do so. I desire that you may taste the sweetness of that state of heart in which surrounded by difficulties and necessities, you can yet be at peace because you know the living God, your Father in heaven cares for you. This brings us to the incredible result of prayer as I've already spoken about, this peace, peace of God which surpasses all understanding and guards your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the thing about the peace of God with prayer and thanksgiving, they're not, they're not just given to you like, like an Advil or like a pill that just kind of deadens or numbs your worry. What it actually does is it roots it out of your mind and instead replaces it with his, his supernatural peace that flows directly from him. And his peace, it's active, it's alive. He talks about this guarding, I, I just see it like when anxious thoughts try and flood your mind, his peace reflects and pushes them away, defending it like a military garrison around a city that's under attack. And prayer does not mean your circumstance will all of a sudden resolve, which that's certainly a possibility. That's not where the peace of God comes from. God's peace infused through prayer, it, what it does is instead it changes our perspective. It reminds us once again of the promises of Christ. Talking about again, right, the, the most dire of circumstances. I just think about believers that I've known, brothers and sisters in Christ over my life that have gone through incredibly hard things, and perhaps this is you as well, whether it's disease or, or cancer, even the, the, the loss of a loved one, and in those moments when it seems like they should be losing their mind, they should just completely fall apart, they just have this peace. And it's like, how is this possible? I just remember conversations that I've had with different individuals, and they just say, I, I can't understand it. It makes no sense. I just have peace. The Lord's given me peace in the storm. By the grace of God, what a gift that is. And I, I, this needs to be said too, I understand that this issue of anxiety, it, it's not cut and dry, and it's, it's sensitive, 
It's one where we look even what's happening right now in our world where, where anxiety has just gone through the roof in terms of those that are being treated for anxiety. And anxiety can go way deeper than just a, a temporary state of mind based on some hardship. It can be a deep mental health issue and an issue where medication at times is needed. And that's a gift and that's good. But here's what doesn't change in the face of all kinds of anxiety, no matter how severe it is, no matter what kind of medical care is needed, medicine, the Lord is greater than it. His power stands above it. His peace is stronger than it. It's able to withstand the onslaught of the most intense anxiety. Do we believe that, church? And so in this, two things can be true at one time. Anxiety can be a real mental health issue where medical means can be necessary and are a gift and can be helpful, but also prayer is a supernatural aid that doesn't make sense, but is stronger than any type of anxiety. And we receive his peace. So if you are full of worry and anxiety, do not stop praying. Do not give up. Keep going to the Lord. Bear yourself before him because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you that you pray and he hears your prayers and he gives you peace. He gives you life for your mind, renewal for your mind. And just a couple of brief, brief application for, for prayer. Uh, I think one, one thing that I've found in my life has been really helpful and other uh, believers have also shared, you know, just this routine and make it part of your life. Make it a routine, make it a habit. That the first thing you do, perhaps, when you wake up, instead of looking at social media or looking at sports or looking at the news, is that you go to the Lord in prayer. Or the last thing that you do before you lay your head in your pillow and you close your eyes is not maybe perhaps watching Netflix, but in prayer with your God. Also, praying actual scripture. This has been so helpful. There are many times when we're just at a loss for words, prayer, right? I've been there. My mind's just blank. I don't even know what to pray. Open up the word of God, open up a psalm, pray it out loud, pray it to yourself. There's a book by Donald Whitney called Praying the Bible. It's like a 100-page book, so helpful, so practical, that can really help transform your, your prayer life by praying uh, the, word, the words from God, straight from the, our Lord. And then also this prayer journey that we're on as a church. I encourage you to sign up, to sign up with, with someone else or even by yourself, and you're gonna receive these, these prayer prompts. I got my first one on, on Thursday, and it was about worry and anxiety which is funny the way the Lord works to align that. But uh, sign up for the prayer journey and uh, it would help you get into a routine, a rhythm of praying every single week. And then finally, as we look to the last directive that Paul gives us, his life for your mind is found in meditating in the things of God. Verse eight, verse nine, and this command really ref reflects what we've been talking about in the marks of the Christ-centered life in terms of having a purity of mind. He says in verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there's any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, think, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There's another promise of peace there. How many times have you thought or said to yourself, I just need to clear my mind, right? I just need to empty it of all the junk and the chaos that I have in here. I just wanna go down to the basement and stare at a white wall. Think about nothing for just two seconds. You see, I think the fallacy for us is that we think that peace 
and life for our mind is in an emptying, it's actually the complete opposite. What Paul's telling us here is to fill your mind. As he uses that action verb, right? Think. Something, it's a movement that we, we have to do, that we have to actually dwell on and meditate on who our God is. We have to meditate on his character, meditate on who Christ is, his being, and in his works. And in this, Paul once again is showing us a path to peace, to walk with the God of peace. And whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, your mind is constantly being filled with something. We live in this age, tech age with, the, with our cell phones and with social media and with news just rapidly going with us, even just the scrolling, right? We're just receiving all this information. And our minds can get so crowded and chaotic so quickly, and it's a lot of times it's being filled, whether we even know it or not, with things that we don't want it to be filled with. And it really is like what we fill our, our stomachs with. We have to eat. And so last Saturday, I went to this party with a bunch of friends. We called it Meats Giving. And what it is is that every, every person from the party brought a different meat that they smoked. And it was, it was glorious. I mean, it was really, we had brisket, we had pulled pork, we had smoked wings, we had spare ribs, baby back ribs, bacon wrapped meatballs. It was the will of God. It really was. It was the will of God. And my wife told me before, she's like, the last time you guys did something like this, you felt terrible after because you ate too much. And I was like, yes. And she's like, you should probably shouldn't eat too much when you go. I said, yes. And I didn't follow her directions. And I ate way too much. And I went home and I woke up at 6 a.m. feeling like a truck had hit me. Have you heard of the meat sweats before? It's, it's, not, a, it's not a fable, it's a real thing, right? It, it's terrible. And I, you know, I just, I paid for it. I just felt terrible the next day. And, you know, as I filled my stomach with all these fatty smoked meats, they're just heavy, and I overate, and I got sick. It's the same way with our minds with what we are consuming. If, if what we're consuming, if all we're consuming, if, if the majority of what we're consuming in our minds is filled with, with fruitless books and, and articles or secular music and, and podcasts and movies and, and shows and entertainment and even the conversations that we have. They're not life-giving conversations of people and we just fill our minds with social media all the time rather than the things of God. Our minds, they won't have life. They won't have peace. They'll be sick. They'll feel like we're a glutton in our mind and they will be wanting. Instead, Paul is calling us to fill it with whatever is true. Fill your mind with his word, with his truth with his gospel, his promises that stand above all other truth in the world, whatever is honorable, meditate and rejoice in God's perfect character that he is one that will never lie to you. He will never dishonor you. Whatever is just, think about his perfect justice that he will not let the wicked or wickedness in the world go unpunished, his character for being for the oppressed and the downtrodden. Whatever is pure, look to his holiness. Look to his purity, how set apart he is, how he's defined by being in, in unmatched light, that everything about him is perfect, how Jesus, our Savior, is the spotless Lamb of God, who wears right now a white robe and whose face shines brighter than a billion suns. Think about whatever is lovely, the flawless beauty of God, that he is like a diamond, that every time you turn it, you see how gorgeous it is, but you just see a different aspect of its beauty whatever is commendable, everything he does. 
Everything our God does is to be lifted up and commended because he is perfect and good. Whatever is excellent or worthy of praise, how he has been merciful to you through the gospel, how he has saved us from hell, how he has saved us from our sins, and he has bestowed on us unmatched grace and mercy and given us the promise of eternal life. That is worthy of praise. And as we focus on who our God is in this list of things, not only to become enamored with who our God is, not only do our minds sharpen, those are all things that will happen, but we, and we become more aware of his worthiness, justice, and purity, but what's the promise there at the end that Paul gives once again? We will walk with the God of peace. And I really see it like if you have someone in your life that you really respect, perhaps it's a parent or a grandparent or a mentor or a friend, and they just exude godliness. They just exude wisdom. And you love spending time with them. You love walking with them and talking to them. You love having a cup of coffee with them and just hearing from them. And as they speak, they may be someone who just encourages you in your life or, or, or gives you a direction in your life. And in those conversations, you just have a peace really see it that way that, that when just like when we have that person that we respect in life when we think about and we have this conversation with the Lord and we learn and he's speaking to us through his word about who he is we're walking with the tender and perfect father and as we walk with him he just gives us peace he just gives us calm with a steady hand so Paul is calling us to walk conversation with our God, learning who he is, discovering who he is, letting us speak to us, letting him speak to us through his word about his character and works. So as we wrap up today, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. What we have seen today is that we have in these commands that Paul has given us in the Christ-centered life being lived out is a recipe, a prescription for the incredible possibility of life for our minds as we pursue joy in the Lord at all times, strengthened by him to do so, as we live with gentleness and reasonableness with those around us, following the example of Christ's humility and how we treat others and our minds are, are set on that reasonableness as we look to unity based on the gospel, allowing Christ's second coming to motivate and give us an urgency in that reasonableness in life, keeping the gospel the main priority, as we find life and peace for our mind through prayer and supplication, casting every care at his feet, and by meditating and dwelling on who he is and filling our minds with the character of our God, with his nature, with his truth. And when these are rhythms in our life, what blossoms is incredible. We receive peace that passes all understanding. We receive a guard against anxiety. We receive lasting joy. And we see the fruits of unity in our church, and this is where we can live every year, every day, every moment, surrounded and guarded and defended in our minds by our great Savior. This is accessible, this life is accessible, ready and available to you in him. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that you have given us this prescription today. You have given us direction in how to receive peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. 
the way that you have shown us that, that having joy in you is joy that rises above our circumstances. Lord, I pray that as you empower us to do so, that we would run after these things, that we would pursue you with an unrelenting pursuit, that we know that in this, that whether we are, are hungry or we have plenty or we are poor or we are rich, we can find our life for our minds in you and that you transform and renew our minds. Lord, right now I pray that, you would, that we, would just, we just submit our minds to you. We submit our lives to you in this endeavor because you are worthy, you are glorious, you are perfect, you are just, and you are the well that we desire to drink from, to receive living water. We praise you, in your holy name we pray, amen. Amen. Church would stand and respond in song.